Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. If you took your songbook and looked at number 709, you would have our outline this evening. 709 was... Let me get turned to that. How sweet, how heavenly. And as you... Look at those verses. I'm going to use those verses as our outline for this lesson in loving one another. First John 3:23. There we have, and this is His commandment that we believe that we believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as He has commanded us. So the love, the love one another is not an option. We've been commanded. Now, in saying being commanded to love one another, that doesn't mean just because God commanded it that it's always easy. Because we being human, from time to time, there are things that cause us for even God to find us unlovely at times. That doesn't mean he doesn't love us, but he doesn't like the things we do. And the things, the way we go about life from time to time, God does not like those, and even the nation that he chose out of all the peoples of the earth through whom the Messiah to come from time to time, he, to, he told them that he was going to turn his back on them. Now, you know, to us, that sounds like I'm going to stop loving you. Now, God never stopped loving them, but he sure did stop liking them from time to time. So let's look at this a little bit closer in love one another. So we should love each other as Christ has commanded. How sweet, how heavenly is the sight when those that love the Lord in one another's peace delight and so fulfill the word. So how sweet and how heavenly it is when we can get along in peace and in love as Christians. But being as we are, that's not always the way. So, But here we fulfill the word when we do that. And John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, Christ, we can't say that his disciples were always pleasing to him, were they? From time to time, they were not pleasing. From time to time, they tried him. From time to time, they irritated him. More than one time, he said to them, Oh, you of little faith. He'd just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had just been discussing and talking with Moses and Elijah about the event that was going to shortly come to pass in Jerusalem. He had taken Peter, James, and John with him up on that mountain and had had a discourse with them. And they had heard his heavenly father say, this is my beloved son, hear him. And as they're coming down that mountain, he instructs Peter, James, and John to tell no one of this until the kingdom has come. And he gets down to the bottom and there's this crowd gathered around and his disciples are gathered around and they're this great 
turmoil going on, and they go over, and a father has brought his son. His son is possessed of a demon that casts him down, has cast him into fire, cast him into water, and has tried to destroy him. And the man comes to Christ and says, I need help. I'm paraphrasing. You know I'm paraphrasing, but I need help. I my, and he describes what has happened to his son and says, I brought him to your disciples and they're not able to cast him out. Do you remember Christ's words? How long, how long must I put up with this faithless generation? Now, does that mean Christ stopped loving everyone there at the foot of that mountain? No. It means that their actions and their deeds at that time made them unlovely. Not unlovable, but unlovely, even to our Messiah. And so how sweet and how heavenly it is when we can get along in love, in peace with one another and fulfill that word. In peaceful delight, Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Here Paul was inspired to write that to the church at Rome and for that then is being preserved for us even today to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So again, the command to love one another with brotherly affection. So we're to have that love for each other as a brother has for a brother, as a sister has for a sister, as a brother has for a sister and a sister for a brother. So here we are as Christians again with a command again to love one another, to show honor, to outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 2, when each can feel his brother's sigh and with him bear a part, when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart. When we can see the joy of one another, that's easy, isn't it? And we can help them. When we can see the sorrow, that's hard, but we also try to help. But what about those that we find unlovely when they're joyful? What about those that we find unlovely when they're sorrowful? Do we show the same toward them as we do for those that we find lovable or lovely? Sorrow and joy, Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And it doesn't mean there that you only rejoice with those that you like. Or you only weep with those that you like. The command given to all Christians everywhere are those Christians who are rejoicing, we're to rejoice with them. Those Christians who are weeping, we're to weep with them, even though we may have what we call personality conflicts from time to time. When we have those personality conflicts and something good happens to that person, Paul was inspired to write, rejoice with them. When we have that personality conflict and something happens to them that causes them to weep, again, the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul says, weep with them. And so we find that difficult from time to time being human, don't we? We find that troublesome from time to time. But you see, God didn't give us a choice in that. He said, I want you to rejoice with them. I want you to weep with them. I want you to show brotherly affection to them. Bear a part. Bear a part of their joy. Bear a part of their sorrow. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to bear one another's burdens. 
If they're sorrowful, we're to assist them in that in any way that we can, however that may be. If they're joyful, we're to assist them in that in any way that we can. Bear one another's burdens. Verse 3. When free from envy, scorn, and pride, our wishes all above, each can his brother's failings hide and show a brother's love. Scorn, envy, pride, those can get in the way, can't they? Pride especially. Envy when that person, something good happens to that person that we're envious of. It's hard, isn't it? When something bad happens to it, that's easy, seemingly, those persons we're envious of. Those people that we scorn because of their not being lovable at this time in our sight, in our estimation, gets easy for us then, but when that scorn and the pride, but then when our wishes are all above, when we are looking above and desiring the best for them, even though they may not be the people that we like the best, but we're desirous of the best for them, it makes it easier for us. Then each can, when we have our wishes all above, each can his brother's failings hide and show a brother's love. Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When someone is caught in a transgression, restore him in that spirit of gentleness. You know, sometimes we have trouble with that, don't we? Because we don't like them. And they're caught in something and we're like, yeah, finally. Finally, they got caught in that. Hmm, That's not what God's word tells us. When they are caught in the transgression, when they are humble and repent, we're to do what? Restore them in that spirit of gentleness. You know, a few weeks ago, Tyler spoke about David, and David was caught in a transgression, wasn't he? David, and he talked about David being angry at the story that Nathan had told him, and that Nathan then tells him, you're the man. And then David is sorrowful. David repents. We have Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 as the example of how he's poured his heart out to God in repentance. And David desired to be restored in a spirit of gentleness. Each one of us, when we transgress, each one of us, when we fail God, and as Romans 3.23 tells us, we all do that, there's not one of us that have not sinned against God. The wise man Solomon wrote about that in Proverbs, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so each of us desire to be restored in that spirit of gentleness, don't we? In Galatians, Paul was inspired to write that to the churches of Galatia. Keep watch on yourself in that last part of that verse 1, lest you too be tempted lest you too be found in the same transgression. Be forgiving. Have that forgiving attitude, that forgiving spirit. And when that forgiving spirit comes to you, when that person comes to you asking, have that in that forgiving spirit, you're ready. You remember Peter asked the Lord a question, didn't he? He said, if my brother offends me seven times, should I forgive him seven times? And we all remember Christ's answer to that, don't we? 
Not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. And we've all heard the lessons where that don't mean literally 490 times. That means every time your brother sins against you, every time they repent and come to you, forgive them. Every time. And here, the Holy Spirit further emphasized that by saying, in that spirit of gentleness, why? Lest it happen to you also. And you turn about and ask for forgiveness, and you desire that same spirit of gentleness also. Envy, scorn, pride. Proverbs 24, verses 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. You know, that's tough for a lot of us, isn't it? When your enemy, something happens to your enemy, when they fall, it's hard not to rejoice, isn't it? It's hard not to be happy about that. But the wise man was inspired to write and say, don't rejoice. God will see it. And God just may turn away from him toward you is the implication. May turn away from him causing his fall and cause you to fall. So envy, scorn, and pride as we sing in that third verse. In that fourth verse, when love in one delightful stream through every bosom flows, when union, sweet, and dear esteem in every action grows. Now this is just a poem, but I'm trying to use these words from this poem and relate it back to words from God to see how it reflects God's word. A delightful stream. A rather lengthy reading here, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. When love in one delightful stream through every bosom flows. Now, can't you see how that Paul, even though it's by inspiration, is telling these people of Philippi, I love you. I love you all the time. You're in my thoughts always. I don't wish anything bad for you. In fact, I pray for you all the time. I pray that you'll grow. I'll pray that you'll learn and that you'll improve and that your love will spread throughout the world and that your knowledge of the gospel will spread throughout the world. When we fulfill that law of Christ, as we talked about earlier, and this is what he's encouraging the brethren at the brothers and sisters at Philippi to do to fulfill that law of Christ, that then God will bring about the completion of that gospel, which is the salvation of their souls. Through every bosom flows. When we can all, with that same example that Paul was inspired to write, through every bosom flows, that we all desire the best for everyone. Now again, there are times when There are times when our actions, and I'm, as I was talking with Leon earlier, he said, don't be too hard on me. 
I said, well, Leon, every time I'm allowed to get up here and speak, I'm speaking to me. I'm beating me up more than anyone anyone here. I'm not beating anyone up. This is me. I need these type lessons myself for me. When every when love flows through every bosom toward everyone, then that makes it the world a better place, doesn't it? You know, we see so much strife in the world today because this group doesn't like that group. This nation doesn't like that nation. And we see horrible things happening. Horrible things happening. One human being doing horrible things to another because that love is not flowing through every bosom. That love that God would have every human being to exemplify and to have is not flowing through that. We can see it even even in our own nation, can't we, between political parties. You know, we talk about the main two, but there's many others, and many others have terrible things that they say about the other parties. And it's hard to find love in those in those statements sometimes, isn't it? Even it's hard to even find love for our nation, much less love for a fellow human being. In the second part of that, when union sweet and dear esteem in every action glows. Second Timothy one verses three and four. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul, by inspiration, writing to that young evangelist as we call him, Timothy. And he says, I thank God whom I serve. My ancestors served him, served him and so do I. I serve him with a clear conscience. Now we know Paul's past as he was known as Saul and later Paul. We know his past, but he says in clear conscience, I've served God all my life. But he said to Timothy, I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, doesn't it help you to know when someone tells you I've been praying for you? Doesn't it help you to know when someone says I lift up your name before God on a regular basis? Here Paul is saying this to Timothy. Now, was Timothy perfect? No, he wasn't. Did Timothy need reminders? Yes, he did. Hence the two letters that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to him. To encourage him and to remind him and to keep him lifted up. But Paul says, beyond these admonitions in these letters I've written to you, I pray for you every day, Timothy. I pray for you regularly. I desire the best for you. Every action glows. And he also tells him, as I remember your tears, they'd shed tears together. And he says, I long to see you. I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. Now, when we are able to express that type of love one for another, then we're headed in the right path, aren't we? We're headed in the direction that God desires us to go as he commanded us to love one another. He commanded us to love one another when we're lovable, and he commanded us to love one another when we're not lovable. And that second part is the hard part. The first part's easy. But when we pray for those that we find unlovable on a regular basis, it may not get any easier, but it makes it to where we can have God's strength to bear us up. To where one day we may be able to do that. Then that fifth verse, love is a golden chain that binds the happy souls above 
and he is an heir, he's an heir of heaven who finds his bosom glow with love. The golden chain that binds, 1 John 4, 7, Behold, our beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. God declared himself in this same letter that John was inspired to write that he is love. God is love. And we sing a song, God is love. We sing 448 about the love of God also. And then there's many other songs in our songbook or in other books we've had about God's love toward us, our love toward God. And here, the golden chain that binds is that love. We know love because God showed love to us. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when God said, let us make mankind in our image, God has exhibited his love toward his creation, mankind. Over and over and over again, he's exhibited that love to him. And the greatest exhibition of that love was Christ coming and giving his life as a ransom here for all of us so that we who had a debt we could not pay, would never be able to pay, Christ paid that debt for us. What an example of love that is. And then that last part of that verse, he's an heir of heaven, an heir of heaven, and why? Who finds his bosom glow with love. Again, still in 1 John, and still in that same chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is, by this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. What John have to say there by inspiration? We've come to know. We've come to know, and we've come to believe that God loves us. We've come to know that and we've come to believe it, he is inspired to say. And how? Because then he makes that description, God is love. Since God is love, whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. So when we find those times when we're not lovely, is God abiding with us and in us? That doesn't mean he's not, but he may not like us right then. When we find those times where we're having a hard time loving those others who are not lovely at that time, who seem to be unlovable at that time, is God abiding in us? Not saying he's not, but he may not find us lovely at that time. When we're not obeying his commands by loving those who seem to be unlovable. Remember Christ said that, God sends rain on the just and the unjust, doesn't he? God, he said God sends the rain on those who he loves, but he also sends the rain on those that are acting unlovely. On those who, if we were in control, they'd never get a drop because they're not acting lovely and we don't like them. With only those that we like that are acting lovely would get a drop of rain. Christ said, God's not that way. God loves everyone. He doesn't like all the deeds of everyone. Don't misunderstand that. God has destroyed 
mankind because the imagine, every imagination and thought of his heart was evil only continually. And only eight were saved out of all the population of the earth at that time because only those eight were lovable, were lovely, not lovable, but lovely. That didn't mean God didn't love the others. It just means that they had so departed from God that there was no redemption for them. So when they say God is love, that doesn't mean that he won't act with justice. That doesn't mean that because he is just that he won't act in a way that we may find harsh sometimes. But in that, when we know that God is love, when we abide in love, we are abiding in God and God in us. And when that occurs, by this love, John was inspired to write, by this love, What love is that? That that we know and that that we believe that God is love and that we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us. We may have confidence. Confidence for what? For the day of judgment. When we know what love is, God, when we abide in that love that God has exemplified before us, loving everyone, when we live in that love with that loving attitude, That doesn't mean that, again, God has a loving attitude, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't see wrong. That doesn't mean that he rejoices in the wrong. That means that he still loves that person, even though he doesn't like what they're doing. We can love those people, even though we don't like what they're doing. When we can have that attitude in us, then we can have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, as God is, God is love, so also are we in this world. When we are filled with love, the love of God, and God abides in us and we abide in his love, we can have confidence on the day of judgment John was inspired to write. In conclusion, let us love one another as God has loved us. Let us love one another as God has loved us. And how has God loved us? Eternally. In that same book of Philippians, written to the church at Philippi, Paul was inspired to write that God had the salvation of all mankind in his mind for all eternity. Even before he began creating everything we see around about us today, even those things that we can't see, but he still created them around about us today, those things that we continue to discover that he created that we didn't know existed, even before all that occurred, God had in mind that when I do that, I have a plan for their redemption. When I create them, when they fail me, I still have a plan for their redemption. God exhibited that love because he didn't have to redeem us, and he did. Still in 1 John 4, as we conclude here, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Does God abide in you? Do you have the love of God? Have you confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Have you put him on so that God can abide in you? If you've done that, have you gone back into the world and made yourself unlovely to excuse me to God and to one another making it hard for one another to love you have we done that do you need help in either in any fashion whether it be to put Christ on in baptism or for us to pray with you and for you or if you just need encouragement in anything that you may be going through people who love you will pray with you and for you for that encouragement for strength for you